Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Mental Conditioning Gym Podcast. I'm super excited to be here with you guys again. Mental Conditioning Podcast in the fourth season, aka Life GPS. I will say this for the first maybe five or six shows that we are transitioning and we're changing the name of the podcast off of Life GPS, the Mental Conditioning Gym Podcast, as I felt like that was very, very, very appropriate as we're having some heavy hitters uh, in the gym this year. Uh, to really, really do some great sparring. And, and this week is is no nothing short of that. We're going to have another fine guest in here. We're going to do some great sparring. It is a female, but here, you know, males and females spar. There's no, you know, we don't, we don't segregate and say, oh, males against the males. The females spar with the males, and they're just as competitive, so we get it on either way. And we're very excited to be able to have another exciting guest uh, in the studio today. This young lady is a dynamic young lady. She's been, you know, very, very accomplished in the things that she's been able to do. And she has some uh, superlatives on her name and some of the things that she's doing that I'm really, really excited to be able to get into and dig into. And she fits perfectly into the mental conditioning gym. Um, that's why we had her in here. So let me let me go ahead and give her uh, some definition and define and, and define exactly who she is. I want everybody to welcome to the show, Miss Clarine Henderson. How are you doing? I am good, Alan. I am thank good. You, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, as I started off to say, one thing about uh, Irene is that she uh, has many, many qualities uh, as I've studied what she's been doing that really, really warrants her to be here uh, in the gym. Uh, three of those qualities that I just really stands out for me is that, you know, first and foremost, she is a advocate for mental health awareness. We're going to really get into that. And what exactly does that mean? And put some definition to that. I think she has a tremendous amount to bring to the table because that's something that we have to talk about. And we have to really recognize what does that mean? We're here, obviously, in the mental conditioning gym. That's in the forefront of what we do. Um, but we need to really, really get some insight into mental health awareness. Also, she is uh, what I call a button pusher, a transitional master. I really, really have great respect. And we've had guests on here uh, before in which we really highlight uh, transition. I think that's a big part of growth. That's a big part of showing strong mindset to be able to transition and push different buttons. We're going to get into that with her, uh, about her mindset as she transitions through life to different avenues. Many of us stay in the same area and don't move, whether we're happy or unhappy. It really doesn't matter. We stay in the same area. And what she has done has been monumental in that she keeps it moving. And I'm sure she's going to continue to take it up yet another notch. And also, one of the one of the things that we're also very, very, very adamant about here in the mental condition is family. She is an advocate for family and understanding what that means to our society in general. Uh, the foundation of family is very, very important to all of us. And it's something that I feel like we've gotten away from. I'm sure we're going to get into that. Uh, very, very shortly. Uh, but welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alan, for having me. I just quickly want to say I appreciate um, what you and your wife, the Allens, have been doing. Thank um, you. I've been watching. We've been talking. We talked a long time ago, a long time ago about this, um, this movement that needs to happen. And I'm so honored to be a guest. Um, and I like the, I like the, I like the, I like what you call me a button pusher. I like that. Absolutely. I like I like it. <laughs> and they're going to see exactly why we, you know, we say that in the transitional thing, because again, being a button pusher is something that uh, 
many of us get stuck in life. And that's, I believe, is a mindset thing um, that we don't keep pushing and keep trying different things. I see life as this big board of buttons. It's almost like we're in a music studio. You see those big boards and so many buttons. Like, what does all these buttons mean on there? But the best producers know what each button means and they can come up with different sounds and it makes a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful song. And that's what you've been able to create. But we're going to we'll get there. We'll get there. We get there. What I like to do on my podcast, I like to kind of take things back a little bit, uh, dust off some cobwebs of your life just to kind of start it off. So we get a foundation of where you come from. A lot of the things that we just talked about, those three things that we just talked about, that came from somewhere. That's in your mindset, but we don't just automatically get these things. There's things that in our life that have influenced that. And so we, I like to start it off with that. So as we build up upon our conversation, it's always interesting to me that we'll be able to actually hear like, oh, we, she said that in the very beginning of the interview. So with that, let me just go with um, your influences. Let me first ask you, did you grow up? And this is, I ask this to everybody, it's important. Did you grow up in a two-parent or one-parent household? Two-parent household. Mm-hmm. Two-parent household. So tell us about influence of just seeing first and foremost a two-parent household. What did that mean to you? Well, um, I grew up in a two-family household. There were six of us. Uh, I come from a large family. Um, wow. Yeah, we we are three girls, three boys. My mom, my dad had the three girls first, and then they had the three boys, of course, last. Mm-hmm. Um, we grew up in Bedford-Stuyvesant. Mm-hmm. We went to the local uh, elementary school. We all went to the same elementary school. We all went to the same uh junior high school and we went to we split two uh high uh high schools one mm-hmm. all of them went to bishop lachlan and two of us went to a philip randolph mm-hmm. growing up in a two-family home um i didn't know anything else besides a two-family home um my dad's family um two-family home also my dad is a product of a two-family home wow. uh, his, his mother his his parents had 10 children so wow. five girls, five boys, um, and they're all married. So it's a two-family home across the board. My entire mm-hmm. family, two family, two family. Um, it was being that I don't know anything else besides that. Mm-hmm. I want, I want that. You know, I always grew up like you know, this is this is what I wanted. Um, I wanted a mom and a dad in the same house. You got to see the good and the bad from both. You know, we the arguments, um, the sit down communications with my parents, you know, them both coming to, to all of us talking about what we need to do, how we need to uh, go on in life and how we need to navigate in life, choosing our friends wisely. We had both aspects from my mom and my dad. I can go to my dad for, I was close, I'm close to both of my parents, mm-hmm. but for certain things I went to my dad about. Mm-hmm. And then for certain things I went to my mom about. I love them both, but being a, being able to have that option um, and to watch them, they used to call us the Huxtables. Yeah, that's funny. The Huxtables. Um, it was it was it was dynamic. It was dynamic. That's very interesting to me, and we're starting off already on fire. Uh, you mentioned a lot. You put a lot on the table for me to be able to eat up, and, I, and I'm hungry, so I'm, I'm going to eat everything you just you just said there. You know, the Huxtables. It's mm-hmm. kind of funny because ironically, my family was called the same thing. And I looked at that as two ways. You know, I kind of, in a certain sense, was sad um, when people would say that because it was like, you know what? And they would say it like it was a fantasy. 
But for me, it was like, yeah, we're the Huxables. And that's a reality that is very possible to have that uh, in your home, to be able to have that camaraderie in your home. And that's something that, you know, as you get older, that's something that you want to see and you want, as you said, for yourself in your home. And that's a very important key asset to your mindset. Um, talk a little bit about your siblings. And, you know, that's the beginning phases of being able to have some, you know, camaraderie or rivalry. You know, does that push you a little bit more? Being that you have siblings, you know what I mean? Is, is that something that also is a challenge? Is that something that, you know what? That starts the process of being a button push. You know what, my sister? She thinks you all of that. <laughs> Another level. Is that is that something that, you know, pushed you and drive you at an early age? You know, I'm the oldest. Mm-hmm. So being the oldest, I set the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, so they hated you. I was, yeah. My mm-hmm. sisters and my siblings always say, you're the reason why we went to college. Nice. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with six of us, I think we have 11 or 12 degrees. Mm-hmm. So everyone graduated college. Um, everyone has a master's degree, uh, a master's degree. I'm working on my PhD. Um, as far as rivalry, I don't, my, the way our parents set us up, there was no competition. Mm-hmm. There was no competition. Everybody was working together. If they couldn't do it, listen, go help your sister. Or she can't. It was never a, I never felt that life was a competition growing up with my siblings. Mm. When I say we are so close, we're extremely close. We are close. We argue, yes, but we also are able to communicate as to why we don't like this, why we don't like that. And we have agreed to disagree on certain things. We all come in with a different flair, our personalities. Um, I have Janelle. Janelle is right underneath me. She is, uh, she's a former basketball player. She's a Leo. Mm-hmm. My first, my first best friend. Um, and oftentimes she she had a battle with cancer about I want to say about five years ago after I lost my mom. About, about, yeah, about five years ago. Um, and watching her, you know, the youngest, watching her, I she pushed me, you know, she pushed me through her just watching her on journey and making sure that she was okay and the way she navigated. Um, and to be young going through cancer right after she lost her mom, um, I always tell her, I commend her. Like right. she's one of my, one of my heroes. I commend her. Through right. it all. Then I have my sister, my, my baby sister. She has three boys. Um, and she's the baby. She's the baby of the bunch. We've accepted her to be the baby of the bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets her way. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the baby of the bunch. And um, I have my brother, Ozzy who is, it's kind of weird because the way my parents had us, Alan, it's like the, the first, the first, me and my, my brother, the first are junior. So I'm named after my mom mm-hmm. and my brother, he's the first boy. He's named after my dad. The middle children are Jay. So it's Jay, Janelle and Jalen. Um, they're seven years apart. My youngers, which is Crystal and Christian, they're seven year, years apart. So my parents had a lot of time and time on their hands to actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To figure figure this out, I, I remember we went. We had graduations for a good fifteen years mm-hmm. with all of us. They literally went stay home one night at bedtime, pillow talk, and they wrote down all the graduations for the next fifteen years. And they had a graduation every year. Um, Jalen is an engineer. He has two children, married. 
Um, Ozzy, Ozzy works. He's a he's a he's a chemistry person. So he does mm-hmm. science. And, uh, Christian, who is the baby, um, he's actually in UCLA right now uh, for a I want to say financial engineering. Okay. Financial engineering, uh, UCLA. He's yep, financial engineering. So growing up with the siblings, um, I appreciated because, like I said, when I when I lost, when we lost our mom, we had each other to depend on. There was literally no, there's never been a competition with us. Let me ask you this. Um, and this is what I want to finish up even with, with, but this is important with your parents. Tell me about the influence that your parents and individual, we're going to go through this one at a time because this is very important because there's a persistent theme um, that you're hitting on, even from the educational standpoint, you guys, you talked about the accolades that you guys have achieved education-wise. So let's let's break it down one by one. By one. Ladies first. So I'm going to go with your mom first. Uh, God rest her soul. What my was mom? the influence of mom? Let's start with just you. You know, what was the influence? Um, I watched my, my mom didn't have, she had the unorthodox background. Mm-hmm. She, her biological mom died when she was about two. Mm-hmm. Um, so she didn't grow up with a mom per se, but she had aunts and she was adopted by a woman called Evelyn, Evelyn Corbin, who was really my cousin, but we grew up to her. She grew up as Nana to us. Okay. So for my mom's influence, my grandmother, Evelyn was her influence. My mom put herself through school. Um, she did her master's. Being that she didn't have a family, this was one of her priorities. This is what she wanted. Yes. She wanted to be able to have everyone underneath the household. Um, she wanted to create, create a family-based setting so that we can depend on each other. Yes. So that's, that, that was her main goal. That's what we, there was nothing else. There was, if one thing that my mom wanted was her family and she loved her family. Yes. That was her job, which she was an educator, right? So she ended up bringing children at a home. Not only did she have six children, but we also gained so many other siblings yes. because that was just who she was. Yes. Um, my dad, one of 10, um, comes from a big family. And to be honest, we learned, I learned how to be a family from my dad. How so? His family is so close. Five mm-hmm. siblings. I, when I say Alan, so close, entirely close. We looked at them, right? From my aunts to my uncles to my grandmother. That's what we defined as family. So it was easy for us, our immediate family, to just mm-hmm. be, we just duplicating and replicating what we've known from mm-hmm. my dad. Mm-hmm. Um. My dad was and is big on family. Um, he's big on pushing, doing what you think is best for you, mm-hmm. not thinking about what anybody else um, think. Um, he's very strong. He's very strong because we thought that actually he was going to go uh, first before my mom. Wow. But just, yeah. yeah, he died. That's another story. He died and came back. He was mm-hmm. dead for Mm-hmm. We always thought that we would lose my dad first, but mm-hmm. lose our mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so watch him go through that process and his healing process. 
And him, matter of fact, April 8th is the seventh year of the death of my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, Just watching him go through that and pulling out certain emotions that we never got a chance to see growing Mm -hmm. up. And that's something else. You know, men and emotions, we Mm -hmm. really see it until something happens. 100%. 100%. We talk about that all the time over here. That's a big thing. Yes. Then, you know, then, you know, they talk about it, you know, Mm -hmm. and that was a process with my influence. That whole family structure, again, we're going to get to that. If, you know, we talked about, you know, your uh, advocacy for family is big. And, 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 and already, ladies and gentlemen, you can see the foundation of that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I want people to hear this. And I'm taking my time here because I want people to hear this because what I love about it is it created a, a foundation. Right. Um, for her, almost a comfort zone. And so many times in life, mentally, we feel alone, especially as men, we do. Mm-hmm. But to have that comfort zone of family, and it's not from anybody in the street. Oh. It's family. And she gave so many examples so far of that family, siblings, extended families, dad's side, mom's side. I think that's so explosive. And I think that's so very, very powerful um, to be able to have that. And that's where I think that's something that we have to really put that on the table and really highlight that. That is a great influence already that you can hear from her. That's in, very, very impactful and very powerful. I want her, I want you now, Clarine, to talk a little bit about, we're going to get into the meat right now. We're going to come back to the, the, the family advocacy part, but we're going to get into the meat right now and why I really, really, really am excited to have you here um, today to talk about um, that mental awareness. That is a very important piece uh, mental conditioning to me, as you know, is very, very monumental to our lifestyle and, and how, where we're going and our life's destination. But to explain it sometimes is very difficult mm-hmm. because the awareness piece of it is very important. If we're not aware of something, how can we address it? And I'm sure in what you're doing, this is a big piece of what you're all about. And that's why I want you to come because sometimes even in, in, in explaining, let me let me break this down and say explaining mental conditioning, there's a fine line there because conditioning is not necessarily for me. I'm not coming at it from a clinical standpoint. Right. However, it can lead to that because when you condition your mind through the four principles and one of the principles that we teach behind is self-evaluation, which is, is the most important. Right. Already, you've expressed some tremendous self-evaluation things. And, ex- and expressions what you want, family's big to me. I understand what family, that's a cocoon that I can kind of sit in when things are rough. I'm mm-hmm. sure the death, I, I can hear, and I thought about that because I remember when your mom passed and I remember how devastated you was. And I know, you know, I lost my dad. So I know what it's like when you have that cocoon, but you had your siblings to kind of say, you know what, we're going to have to get through this together. Yeah. You talked about another trial and tribu- tribulation, adversity, your sister experiencing cancer. You guys got to come together for that. And guess what? Watch this. Big sister is like, yo, that's my hero. That's my, man. That's my hero. That's you doing it. <laughs> yes. That's mm-hmm. a powerful piece to it. But all of that, within all of that, is the self-evaluation piece for you to be able to mentally admit these things to yourself. That's a big part of mental conditioning. Sometimes it's out of my hands where you're going to have to go seek some professional help. But in order to get to that point, 
you have to be able to mentally say, I need it. Mm-hmm. That's one mm-hmm. of the biggest issues is mm-hmm. that we're not able to say, I need that. Mm-hmm. That's where the mental awareness part comes into play. And so that's what I want you to start to slowly take us through this. We're going to walk through it together, but I think this is very, very, very important. So break it down for us first and foremost. What does it mean to you when you hear that term, mental awareness? Mental health awareness, what does that mean? You explained it exactly what what you said. You have to be able to recognize it, right? And sometimes as crazy as it sounds, you don't because you've been in it so long, it's your normalcy. Mm -hmm. It's normal. You know, some people, it's just just normal for them. Um, What I did, you know, growing up, um, I'm going to say this, growing up, we didn't really talk about therapists. You know, and we in the community, we didn't talk about therapists. I grew up in the church, you know, and I don't want to be redundant, but we grew up in the church. Um, you know, you, you felt a certain way you had issues. Oh, you know, just pray about it, pray about it, pray about it, pray mm-hmm. about it. Very um, and when I was younger, when I was younger, I, I used to feel anxiety when I was younger. I used to get like these butterflies every time I took a test, every single time I took a test. I'm like, you know what? Maybe just a test. Maybe, maybe just this. But as I got older, I still realized that I still had the butterflies and I used to get anxious around tests. It was anxiety, something that we didn't address because it was just thought, you know, maybe it's just a test. It was actually anxiety. So I said to myself, um, when I had my child, you know, I want to make sure that I introduced her to ways of communicating and ways of knowing when things aren't right. Um, for me, for self-awareness, mental health. We talk about it, but we don't be about it. It's really, it's, it's, it's a rough and tough um, topic to discuss because it's looked, looked upon, it's, down, it's looked down upon, especially with men. You know, it's something, you don't want to talk about how you're struggling to another guy. You know, you don't want to talk about how you're struggling to another, you just, you just keep it inside. Sometimes, most times it's, it's not good. I've always said, Input, when there's an input, there has to be an output. It has to be output. When things are happening over and over and over again to you and you're not talking about it or you're not writing about it, if you have no outlet to let it out, it's eventually it's going to become anger. That's, and it's going to build up. It's going to build up. And then it's going to make you explode at the, at the time that you don't even realize that it's happening to you. And you have to adjust. You said something that's really powerful here. There's a lot. I love it. Every time you talk, you're really putting a lot on, 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 the, on the table for me. And I really have to really, really challenge myself to get it all in because I, it's a really, really important piece. Because you, you're going in so many different directions, which is great. Mm-hmm. You touch, and I want to take this slow. You use the word anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's a powerful word. Uh, we're actually dealing with a little bit of that in my family right now with one of my sons. And you talked about your daughter. Mm-hmm. A lot there. And again, I want to piggyback on to family and being able to now as a parent, you're a parent now, and being able to transpose things down to our children, even when we're not fully 
in tune with how to fix it necessarily, but giving our children that path to say something is wrong here. The like you, I suffered the same things, uh, not necessarily about a test per se, but for me, it was just school in general. Mm -hmm. It was a tremendous amount of anxiety. I still have these things now, believe it or not, with work, going to work, believe it or not, sometimes doing a podcast, mm -hmm. but I've learned how to adjust. adjust. And a lot of that is conversation that we have and you have to have somebody in your life. And I think this is important that can hand it down to you to say, you know what, this is normal. Mm -hmm. It's not normal that we don't address it. Right. So I want to, I want to stop this and, and put it here for you as a parent. Now, I want you to talk about this as a parent and to talk about what it means to you to be able to bring that down to your daughter and break that down. Tell people, see, we have to slow this down because sometimes these are things that when you understand it, we take it for granted. But doesn't right. anybody just know you should just right. tell us to your daughter? So right. that's why I want you to articulate this. This is why you're here and, and you're bringing a lot to the table. I want you to take people through that. We're going to get into it in general, but this is even more powerful because this is even more sensitive because let me tell you something. When it's our children, we want them to be perfect. So you're like, oh, shit. You have anxiety? Oh my God, I can't believe. So we feel like that. And even for us, at a young age. we sweep that underneath the rug. But we but but how do you walk us through that? You started to see, oh man, you know what? I'm seeing some of the signs. And then from there, the execution for you to have a conversation with us. Tell us about that. So I noticed when it came to certain subjects. Um it came to certain subjects test. I don't know this. I don't know this. And it, it, you know, I don't know this. I don't, I can't, I, you know, listen, I need you to, <laughs> and it's normal. You know, it's normal. It's normal yeah. because you, you, as a child, you want to be perfect. Yes. Like, you don't want to disappoint your parents. Yes. You don't want to disappoint the teachers. You don't want to, and you know, they grow up, especially if you are in a gift and a talented program. And that's another thing. Oh, when you honors program, when you in an ingenuity program, when you have to make certain grades. And that's another thing, you know, growing up in that whole entire environment, you know, yes. you can't get less than an 80. You can't get less than an 85. You know, you, you have to be able to 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 compete with the rest of it. Sometimes it's not about that. Sometimes you have to understand it for yourself. Everybody's yes. on a different mechanism that everyone is different. I made I, everyone's different. So back to my daughter, when I, I started noticing little things um, and, you know, I, I took me a, a while because I wanted to exactly evaluate for myself to see if what I was thinking, that's what it was. Okay. So one day, you know, I just had a conversation like, you know, how do you feel about tests? Um, how do you feel about this subject? And, you know, it just opened up a whole gateway. You know, I, I feel like this is happening when this you know, everything just starts rushing in. So, you know, you have to, okay, if you feel that way, let's get your tutor, you know, so that way you can be more yes, yes. accomplished and, and assuring in yes. your answers, you know, like little things like that, tutoring after school program, reaching out to the teachers. And I always say, there is nothing wrong with making sure you get your child the proper services. Yes. Yes. Make sure you get your child the proper services. If your child takes longer to take a test, 
it's okay. It doesn't mean anything. It's just that they may need to take a little longer. It doesn't, it doesn't affect their, their brain. It doesn't affect how smart they are. Listen, they just need a little more time because they may overthink themselves and they need more time. Um, so with that as being a parent, um, and just with everything else, opening up the gateway to make sure we have certain conversations for her to know that I'm not your friend, but yes. I am your mother. Yes. Which huge different. I am not your friend because friends have something in common. That's what makes them friends. Yes. I'm your mom and I have to navigate you through life and navigate you and help you make the right decisions, decisions that's going to make sure that you get to where you need to get. And when you get there, then it's all on you. That, that, that self-evaluation piece as a parent is very, very important because again, we as parents want the best for our children. And we have to be careful because listen, I, I, I'm a straight shooter on this show and on this podcast. And sometimes even our peers and the peer pressure of others right. does influence us because sometimes we're like, oh no, you know what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So-and-so, James' kid, they're on the honor roll. Mm-hmm. And now I have to backtrack because, because guess what? Sometimes your child, they're just not an honor roll student, but we have to maximize and give them the confidence that they can do what they can do. Right. And that right. is, believe it or not, part of mental health mm-hmm. awareness. It really is because what happens is that it starts to manifest itself into other things. I'm going to backtrack a little bit and talk about the confidence that your parents instilled in you. I mean, you guys have such a high bar over there. Obviously, you being the pioneer child, the first, the trailblazer, you, you, yes, you, you, you set the bar. They say, I was a rough about, draft. I was a rough draft. That's what they call me, the rough draft. But you, you set a standard. And talk about the confidence, though, that your, your mom and dad instilled in you, you know, through those times of anxiety, through those times. Of, I don't know. Was there ever a time of doubt for you for the educational route? Did you feel like, I don't know. But I want to, you said something that was really important also, like that pressure of, oh, man, mm-hmm. got to be this 80. I'm going to honor, I'm going to honor program. I can't drop the ball. Mm-hmm. Did you feel that pressure coming up? Uh, I did. Um, and I, I believe that that was more of a personal pressure that you put on yourself. I put on my, right. That I put on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, going, cause you know, you have to prep the prep. I don't know if you remember the prep, the prep, going to prep, the prep the Saturdays and, and packer and, you know, those things. Um, I did growing up looking back, um, I did put a lot of pressure on myself. And then, you know, with my parents, it wasn't even a requirement to go to college. Wow. At all. Mm-hmm. My parents said, listen, college ain't for everybody. Yes, it is. It You're right. You're right. For everybody. Mm-hmm. So you can do a trade. You can just do something that you're going to want to do. They did not. What they did, though, was mandate that we go graduate from high school. Because of that course. was. But college was not for everyone. That's what my mom said. College is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's okay. But the confidence, even I think even when I didn't do well, you know, and that's another thing, even when you don't do well, you also you still got to be confident. Like, you know what? Maybe next time I'll get it. You know, like I'll just practice and work on it. Maybe next time, maybe just not this time. And it's OK. It's OK to fail. It's OK to just 
take a step back to see exactly what you did wrong, because that's the way you learn. You're learning through that, you know, um, confidence in, in, and when you're doing well and confidence when you're doing bad. Yes. Both. Yes. Yes. It's, it, listen, and the real challenge in life, and no matter what you're talking about, when you talked about your parents being married, um, you know, we, my wife and I do a lot of programming on that. And, you know, we have another podcast where we interview couples. And it's kind of funny because sometimes when I get people, they're like, ah, I listen to that podcast. What is this, like a love fest? And I'm like, that's not, to be honest with you, that's totally not what the podcast is about. You know, when I start asking couples questions, you know, of course I ask, you know, how'd you meet and stuff like that. That's cool. But you know, my favorite questions, how did you deal with adversity? Mm. Couples tell me sometimes couples, you know, we get them to be pretty comfortable and they share with us some horror stories of like, oh my God. And sometimes we're sitting here like, oh man, that happened. But I mm-hmm. love that mm-hmm. because when they share that and then you, the next question is, how did you get over that? Right. And then they share that with you. To me, that's building such a mental confidence that no matter what, I can get over that. Mm -hmm. Because the easy things, it's easy to say, you know what, we're going to go out. We had a great time. We went to the movies. That's easy. Mm -hmm. But it's Mm -hmm. hard to say, you know what, we're not getting along right now. Right. And you're getting on my nerves. And I'm not really sure what to do about it. But I found a way to get past that. That, to me, is the mental foundation of things. The adversity. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to ask you this. You touched on this earlier. Males and females, mm-hmm. and mental health awareness. Talk to me about the difference, if there is a difference. Ladies first. Tell me about females and their challenges with being very aware of their mental health. And then we're going to talk about the guys. And we'll talk about the differences. But first, tell me about what you're seeing. From, from females in terms of being aware of their mental health? What I know for sure is that females are more inclined to reach out to therapists. Mm. By nature, you know, by nature, we chit-chat. We talk to our friends on the phone. You know, that's there's no problem with us engaging in conversations, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, it's easier for women to say, listen, hey, let me let me go and talk to a therapist. Let me call a friend who's going to actually listen, give me sound advice. And when I say sound advice, not advice that you want to hear, but I'm talking about advice that is going to make you think like, okay, wait a minute. Let me, like you said, do some self-awareness and self-evaluation. Let me check myself. Maybe I was a little wrong in a certain situation and now I have to go over everything and figure out what's the best option to correct it mm-hmm. with men. Um, like I said, it's triggered by something. It's triggered by something some way, somehow, um, not all men, but the majority of men that I've come in contact with something happens and to the point where they just can't, they, they, there's no way that they're going to be able to hold it. So now they're going into services. And when they go into services, when they sit down and they talk to someone, you know, now years and years and years and years and years of disappointment, years of anger, years of tension, you know, trauma from at home that was never addressed. And that goes on both sides. Trauma at home that was never addressed. Um, it gets really, really heavy. It gets heavy because remember men are, on top of the food chain, you know, they have no room or are being taught that there's no room for emotions. 
You know, when a guy cries, toughen up. You crying? You know, like, you, you really got tears in your eyes? You crying? Right. right. And then, you know, now they're to a point where they don't want to cry. They don't want to show emotions. But then you turn around and say, well, you're not, you're not emotional enough for me. But when I want to be emotional, you told me it's tears coming to my eyes. You know, like it's, it's for men and women. That's what I, that's what I see. You know, we have to create this safe space for it's okay. I, I remember they were doing something years ago. It's okay for a man to cry. It's okay. Everybody else cries. It, it, listen. Everybody listen. else cries. It's okay. You have to let that out. It's a, it's an output. You know, it's an output years or, you know, trauma. You have to let, you have to. It's it's so important for it to happen. I'm going to come back to that because we Uh-oh. spend some time on that one. <laughs> Uh-oh. Guys, I got a lot to say on that one. But let me, let me, let me ask you one question about the females first. But we're going to come back to that back one. To the- and we're going to spend some time on that mm-hmm. one. But for the females, I, have, I wrote this down like, you talked about females being more inclined when you're there mentally having some trouble, dealing mm-hmm. with this anxiety about dating or mm-hmm. about parenting, about an aging parent. Mm-hmm. All of these things are very traumatic on our mindset. This is getting hot. I'm, I'm getting excited. Very good work. Females are more inclined to, as you said, call up their girlfriend, mm-hmm. possibly talk to a doctor, but I'm going to deal with the friends first because we're going to go this route with the men too. Mm-hmm. For females, there's a word I'm going to introduce here and that word is going to be trust. Mm-hmm. Big part of this is, can I share this with my girl right. and expect that I'm going to get back real sound exactly. feedback and information right. To help right. me for females first. Let's let's break this. Let's do it in, in, in phases. For females, do you guys have that sense of like, hey, I can call my homegirl and and say this is what's happening. And and, and and be clear, as you said, we're talking about top of the food chain steak for us. This is not we're just talking about, damn, I can't figure out what I'm gonna have for dinner. No, this is something that's my kid, I need some help. I'm at the end of my rope as a parent and I don't know what to do. This is a little uncomfortable, a little embarrassing at some points to have this conversation. And I got to pick up the phone and call somebody. Are females confident in their trust that that person on the other end of the phone, and it's not a doctor, that you can confide in them and have them be render you mental aid mm. for that situation? That's why they say you got to choose your friends wisely. Okay. Talk to me about that. You got to choose your friends, Rosley. Um, I've had the same friends. We've been friends for over 20 some odd years. Um, and she is my confidant. You know, besides my sister, um, as far as sound advice, I have two. I have sound advice. I also have a friend who who's in therapy, who does, who does therapy, who's a clinician, I should say. Um, so if I can also call her. To look to get her, 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 allow her to analyze the situation. Okay, you know what? These are the choices that you can make. You know, this is what I think would be best, right? But back to the friend, um, you have to really choose your friends wisely, and know that if something was to happen, they would legitimately have your back 
Yes. And be truthful. Be truthful regardless of what you hear. I like, I, listen, if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Clarine, you are wrong. You shouldn't have done that. This is what you should have done. You need to call that person back and apologize. You know what? You're right. Uh, not a, oh, no, you're you not wrong. Oh, you should. You, no, mm, 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 because guess what? You're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get anywhere. And you, are, are you able to accept? And what yes. makes you able to accept that? To speak on that because the answer is yes, but I want you to tell the listeners. What makes you have the mindset to be able to accept Clarine? You're wrong. What makes you able to accept that from that person? Knowing that I'm not perfect. Mm -hmm. And knowing that just Clarine, you could be wrong. That's just it. You know, you know you're wrong. You know you're wrong if you're sitting here. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have having that conviction on yourself. See, when you have conviction on yourself, that's telling you, you could have done it a lot better or you could have said something a lot better. And I'm going to say this, my parents, back my, my parents, my parents always told me, if you are wrong, you need to go back and you need to apologize. doesn't matter. You need to go back and apologize. And sorry, and a sorry can go a long way instead of buying, buying someone's trust back or or buying someone's happiness. Listen, I apologize at the moment in time. And you can just have, you could just be having a bad day. You could be having a bad day when things pile up, you know, just an I'm sorry. My parents always said that. Say I'm sorry. Yes. Go tell your sibling you're sorry. You may not want to say I'm sorry, but just seeing that other person's smile and say, you know what, I forgive you, you know, and that's the whole thing too, where sometimes apology is not for you. Yes. Sometimes the apology is for you. Yes. Right? So if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I have no problem with apologizing. Even when I'm even when I'm right, I tend to apologize for maybe it was interpreted incorrectly. Maybe I didn't explain it correctly or mm -hmm. maybe maybe you took it out of context and you got that where it comes down you have to be able to communicate and sit and break down everything on the list. Because when you're dealing with someone Right. This is not yeah. like a, a essay where someone could just read your journal and, and there's no input or output on what was said. This is actually you're dealing with a human. So when you're dealing with a human, their reactions are going to be a lot different than yours. That's what makes you two separate people. You may think this and that could be because they grew up thinking different. that. Right. Thinking that an apology doesn't mean anything, yes. you know, or they may think that you're always right. Females are always right. Males are always wrong. It's just so many different dynamics as to why people think the way they do. But you got to be able to get on that same book. You looking like you got something to say. Yeah, because you know what? That's a, that's a great segue for me to say, you know what? Different mindsets. So Everyone. we're going to jump across the road and we're going to talk about the men. And mm -hmm. this is important. I, mean, I know we're going to spend some time here because I got a couple of angles that I want to be able to put out for you because you are a female and I want to get some perspective on some of these things and you can actually answer some questions for the men out there uh, from a female perspective so again i'm going to you know kind of ask you to kind of reiterate again the challenges as you see it for men um to really be cognizant of their mental health you talked about women having those outlets and you talked briefly about men 
not it's not necessarily that they don't have it, but they are reluctant to use those outlets. So talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing as to why, you know, why do you think they're not doing that? They don't want to be judged. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be judged. Um, they are ashamed. You know, that, that comes in the ego, mm -hmm. pride. Let me get my pen out here. I've got oh. a lot of writing. <laughs> ego, <laughs> pride, um, being embarrassed, um, ashamed. You know, it's so many different, just, it's so, it, just basically not being taught Right. So if you did come from a family, um, a, a two family home, yes. your dad was in the house, you know, yes. you you didn't see your dad actually being emotional. Maybe you just always saw him as a regular coming home, going to work, coming home, coming to work, sit down and have, you know, sit down and have dinner, talk with your mom. But you never got a chance to actually listen to his cries. Yes. He stayed in the car and cried when bills were due and, and he didn't have the money. He didn't. He stayed in the car and cried. You didn't get you didn't get to, you didn't get a chance to see that you didn't yes. get a chance to see that you know and you're not gonna call another man to tell him what your problem is because that yes. that that alone that alone opens up a a side that men don't want them to see an emotional side not all men but the majority of men that emotional side they don't want anyone to see that they don't okay. want anyone to see that. here we go. From a female perspective, because I agree with you 100%. But let's try to put some solution here. Try. Mm -hmm. As we look at that, and I, again, I agree 100%, this is an issue, and a lot of it is, is born into our lives as young boys. Right. You used that example earlier about if, you know, when, when boys, boys fall down and they start crying, they you know, cry. you can boys possibly get smacked. Get beaten for you know for crying. You, you fell down. You broke something. You 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 you, in a, you know you feel bad. You know, young boys, we usually get chastised for showing a little bit too many emotions. You're tough, you're tough. Correct, mm -hmm. and this obviously translates through uh, adulthood, manhood. We just had a great uh, session, sparring session with a gentleman. You know, before um, mm -hmm. we got on with you, and um, here's the piece that I want to get from a female perspective. What role do you believe that our counterparts, which is our women, uh, can play in building that mental strength for a man to feel more comfortable in showing those emotions, especially if he's involved in a relationship with a woman or a marriage with a woman? Or do you think that that woman plays a role in building his mental health to be a little bit more open to expressing that because let me put it on let me put the example on the table this is tough a lot of times in society you use that example again excellent excellent i got the right person here today excellent examples money is a problem but in you know in any era mm -hmm. and for a, a male to come home if he does not have the answer the mortgage is due tomorrow or next week and he knows like yo i ain't got it a lot of times a man is not going to come home and tell his lady that. Right. He's going to hold it in. Mm -hmm. Now, there's reasons for that. Because sometimes if he does that, we got into a big show. I don't know if you listened to it. We got into a big show one time in regards to male and female perspective. We had a panel of men. We had a panel of women. We're going to do that again soon. I expect you to be on that panel. Yes. 
and, and, and we use the term quality man. And I started it off using the term, which I, I don't like this term, real man. Because I said that a lot of times women like to use that term to put us down when they're angry at us. And if the guy comes home and says to his wife, say, Clarine, I'm like, oh, honey, I don't have the money this month. And, I, and you're like, well, what do you think? And he's like, I have no idea. I'm not saying you, I just use your name. Clarine mm-hmm. may say to him like, I tell you what, you're just not a real man. Mm. That's very hurtful to men to hear that right. term. Right? I agree, I agree. Mm-hmm. So this is part of why the next time, it may not be the money, it may be something else that he's like, you know, it's sensitive to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm not comfortable going to her because the last time I did that, I was told that I'm not a real man. So what role now? Do our counterparts play, which is our women in relationships to building that? Or is that something that you believe that women have a responsibility to aid in that area? If that is that question clear? Yes. So I'm going to touch this in three parts. Yes, I do. The thing is, it has to be I don't want to I don't want to use the term right woman. But I, I'm going to use that term, the right woman, you know, that they're saying that different women bring out different parts of a man you know you could be one way with one woman and next time you are the way it's all about how that woman is right so now let's go back a lot of times the real woman the real man quality man how is that instilled in a lot of females sometimes it comes from home it sometimes comes from their parents their mom them hearing you ain't no real man, you da 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 blah blah right. blah blah. Right. You ain't no real man, da da da. So they've conditioned to a real man provides, a real man brings home money, a real man is going to do whatever it takes. That's not the. We got to get out of that. That we got it. So am I only real when I'm bringing the money home? Am mm. I only real when mm. I'm bringing the money home? Things happen. Things happen. You can't, you have to be very, very careful in what you say and how you say things. Words cannot, what they say, sticks and stones, they break my bones. Words can't hurt me, which is so not right. It's so incorrect because words with sticks and stones, and we know that there's going to be bruises, but words leave long, long term effects. And to the point where it goes into your mental health, it goes into your spirituality, it makes you second guess who you are, you know, and then and then it just trickles down. So, you know, when we when we talk about this and, you know, when you 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 use descriptive words and with men, we have to be very, very careful on what we say to men. B, 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 can you give me some because this is, again, very, very, very men. So very specific if you can. The example that you, the example that you gave, someone coming in, hey, honey, you know, we're a little short this month. I can't, you know, we had unexpected, uh, say we had a medical bill, right? And that money, guess what happens? We had to use that money for a medical bill for our child. The mortgage, we're going to be a little off. Well, you ain't no real man. We got to be careful with that. We got to, sometimes you just, sometimes it's better not to say anything. Okay. Okay. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out versus you putting him down and him not wanting to come to you and open up. So now you shut everything down. It's like, you done walk back. 
You don't walk back about five steps. Now he really, if you were on the path of getting him to open up, now you don't allow that man to walk all the way back down. Now he's not going to want to open up. He's not going to want to open up. And if he does, this is another part. You know what? I was really hurt when you sat there and said that I wasn't a real man. What you mean you was hurt? How are you going to be hurt? But we can't, you can't, you, you can't invalidate someone's feelings. Listen, listen, I need to ask something here. Because this, again, this is a powerful thing. And I need to know, and I'm going to backtrack a little bit because I want to know, is this a conversation that females have amongst yourselves Yes. to talk about our mindset? Is this something that we say, you know, girl, you shouldn't really be doing that? Because I'm sure you guys, well, I could be wrong. Do you guys have that conversation and say, yo, my husband, he came home. He said he, said he was dry. He, he, couldn't be, he couldn't make the mortgage. And then she took, you know, and well, what did you say, girl? And he's like, I told him, dude, you're not a real man. Do you guys have that conversation? Yeah. And, and if that happens, do you correct each other in that moment? Or I don't want to say correct each other because I'm not suggesting that either thing is right or wrong. But will you comment and say, you know what? You have to be really careful in saying something like that. Is that yes. a conversation that goes on amongst people? Yes. That's a conversation that goes, again, that's a conversation that goes amongst my circle. Mm -hmm. we hold each other accountable mm -hmm. you know I, i'm as good as the person that i hang out with mm -hmm. you know that saying you are you are the closest five people that you, you become so if my i have a strong strong circle you know you were wrong i think you need to call them and tell them you know what i was i was a little hot-headed i was mad and i was angry and that goes back to being angry when you how someone treats you when they're angry says a lot because being angry is going only going to last for but so long Yes. So now, so now you got to backtrack everything that you did during that anger process and you got to explain, listen, I was angry. I shouldn't have said it. And it causes so much friction and so much problems because now next time when you're angry, what you're going to do, what you're going to say. So yes, we do hold each other accountable. We do. And that goes to, you have to choose your friends. Well, you have to choose friends who are willing to grow. Okay. Willing to, grow. Willing to admit their faults, willing to work on themselves just will, you have to be willing to grow. Very, very important piece to, again, we go back to that all important self-evaluation. In order to grow though, we have to be able to recognize what piece needs to grow. And mm -hmm. we have to be able to be honest uh, with ourselves in regards to that. The last piece I'm gonna touch on this, cause we can go male, female thing, and we will, we're gonna pick this up uh, going down the line. But the last piece I'm gonna pick up on here, and this is an important piece now, from the female perspective, this is important. And we're talking about mindset for you as a woman uh, out here. If you're in a situation where you're looking to date and date a man, let's get into um, the mindset of a female. How important is it to you to be able to have a man that mentally is on the same wavelength as you in terms of him being able to articulate the things we just talked about or him being able to, and the question we're going to come to in a few minutes. Well, let me, let me wait for that question, but let's, let's deal with that first and foremost. How important is that for you to be able to meet a guy and say, yeah, he's attractive and all of that. That's good. But mentally, is he able to have some foundation of mental strength is how important is that to you? And is that a, immediate deal breaker. I, 
It is very important. It's imp it is it is imperative. Um, I would say it like this: we'll get candid, right? Yes. So I like to have this you know, dating, you know, dating. Um, my first couple of questions, you know, when it's, we're in the dating scene, my first couple of questions, how do you deal with, with issues? Right. <laughs> you must be reading my notes. You're reading my yeah. notes. I didn't want to go there, but go ahead. You know, how do you deal with issues? You know, what's, what's the, one of the most traumatic things that you had to deal with and what was the outcome of it did you seek help because a lot of times too men don't want to tell you listen i suffered from depression and anxiety and i had to be medicated yes. they don't want to tell you that they don't want to tell you that because it's scared you know it's it'll scare someone off uh but you know we are adults and we know that things happen things happen things that you have no control over you know especially during the last two three years during the pandemic you know we see that mental health has skyrocketed uh, yes mm -hmm. skyrocketed because so much happened at one time you had deaths you had sicknesses you had people losing their jobs people were at home with children when normally the children are out they don't really have to you know watch you know watch their children now they became the teachers so you know all yes. of that played a part but when we talk about when you're actually dating someone you know i would i need you to be honest you know how do you deal with issues you know and you can sense it you can sense it you can hear um or see the way that they communicate are okay. they are they open with certain questions are they do they shut down do they shut down are they really chatty you know how is your communication skills you pick up little like little things you know we we are investigators by nature um so you pick up you pick up little things things that are said things that are done you know just in general but overall mental health Mental health for when you're dating is extremely important because it puts you in a place as to, I know if we get into an argument, this was going to happen, right? I know if something happens and I get pregnant, you know, he's not going to shut down. You know, that's okay. enough. He's not going to shut down. And, and you yes. know, we can be able to work this through instead of having all that sh the stress factors. Or, you know, if I get sick, if I get sick, how is that going to play on him? You know, what's his background? What's his let me say this, mm -hmm. and you're delaying you're delaying my next question. But I, you went there, so I have to go there because I use this example all the time. Let me roll up my sleeves. This is an interesting thing because that um, decision making and decision making is another part of the four principles of mental conditioning. Mm -hmm. And again, your foundation of having that family that builds that because you're able to see your parents working together to make decisions. As we go on in life, we either gain that ability or we lose it. In today's society, and we've gone through this on, on previous shows, it appears to me, and this is again, this is a mental health issue. When you start to lose that, that's a muscle. Mm. That's a mental muscle. And we have to build that muscle of decision-making. We work on that diligently in the gym. Building that decision, because life, we don't... I wish that the easiest decisions that we have to make is just, oh, what are we going to eat? Right. Unfortunately, we have to make very, very difficult decisions. You know, dad is gravely ill. Do mm -hmm. I, but I live in, in New York. He lives in New York. I mean, I live in, he lives in Florida. I live in New York. How do I manage that? Those are very difficult decisions that we have to be able to make. The mortgage is due, but you know, I don't quite have it, but I, Maybe I'm not going to pay this bill. Mm -hmm. Those are major decisions that we have to make, right? 
And sometimes in our society, for different reasons, for different reasons, uh, men have seemed to have lost that muscle. Mm. And I believe that women are training very hard in that area of making decisions. And this is going to be a, a huge conflict because now if you have a marriage or you have a relationship where we're having to make those decisions, what tends to happen is that the woman is starting to be the one to make those decisions. And just like any human being at some point, and this is something that, again, it's a self-evaluation thing, we all become so overwhelmed that we need what? Help. And so now this woman has been making those decisions constantly. Mm. And the guy has been out of practice now for three or four years. But dad is sick. I done lost my job. The baby's failing every class. And I got COVID. I need help. So now you turn around, Joe, I need some help. And Joe going to be like, you got it. Who are you talking to? <laughs> because I don't know nothing. I don't know nothing about that. You never given me that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So how does this process work when you, or do you go forward? This is, you kind of answered that question. Cause sometimes people do get in situations where it's kind of like, I know my guy is not really that good of a decision maker. But is that something that a woman will say, let me try to help him build that, even though he's a little bit apprehensive about making decisions, here, make that decision. I might have the answer, but I'm going to give him an opportunity to do it rather than just give me the, give me his decision. I'm going to make it for him. Do you understand? Right. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a sit down conversation. Right. So I've been used to making the decisions. I've been used to making decisions, but it's always you have to, even if he doesn't make the decision, he has to be on board with the decision. So this is what I want to do. Do you have any objections? Do you think that there's another outlet or do you think that we can do this another way so that he's still involved and he's still involved? He can't say he doesn't know, um, but this is a discussion between us two. I think that, you know, like picking a favorite cereal and having your kids pick out clothes, you know, that's it. But when it comes down to major decisions, major decisions, I think both parties have to be on board, have to be on board um, because her decision may just infect, you know, affect the whole entire family. And now you have to explain why that decision wasn't the best decision. Oh, I didn't know anything about it. Oh, why didn't you tell me? Oh, well, you told me that I can make the decision. No, it has to be. You are a two-person two household. Yes. You're a two-person household. Even if he does not want to make a decision or he, he, he doesn't want to be involved, he has to, he has to be involved. Some way, somehow, he has to be involved. Um, that's the only way it's going to kind of balance it out. At least tell me. I, 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 I don't make any decisions without someone, whoever, um, without knowing. Like, because it's going to affect both of us. It's going to affect us. It's going to affect the family. You know, we have to be on one accord so that if something was to happen, we'll know how to move as a unit. Together. As Yes. Yes. Conflict is something that struck me and struck out big about the area that you specialize in. Conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. I think that's big. And it's really what we've been talking about the past 15 minutes is conflict resolution. 
And I want you to put together the nexus between conflict resolution and mental health. Having the ability to uh, be a decision maker and problem solver when it comes to conflict resolution. Or is that, let me, let me ask that question. Is there a connection between conflict resolution and our mental health? And I, and I wanna say to our audience again, when we're talking about mental health, it, it is a, it's a wide range. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about mental health, it's not necessarily saying that you have to see a psychiatrist. Right. But, you know, our mental health is our decision-making ability. I'm about to put the question on the floor. Is conflict resolution part of our mental health? Our ability to be able to solve conflicts in an appropriate manner. Mm -hmm. Is that part of our mental health? Yes. So, yes. Um, when we deal with conflict, conflict resolution, it's not what we want to do. Right. It's not based on what I want to do. Clary wants to do this. It's not about that. I have to choose what's the best option for us both. I can't do what I want to do. So when we talk about problem solving and conflict resolution, that it, it goes hand in hand with mental health. It goes hand in hand because, you, like I said, we can't say certain things. We can't do certain things. We can't move certain things, especially when you have a significant other who is dealing with certain issues. That that median, we have to come to a median. I can't just, just base a decision off of me because it's going to affect them. That, that listen, this is going to, this is, works perfectly because it kind of brings me into another phase of the game. Mm -hmm. And what I called you a button pusher. I have great respect uh, for button pushers. I use that analogy again of the board. I love music. Music is one of my passions. I, I don't have no, I can't sing. I can't produce. I just love to hear music. And, I, and I'm very in tune with, you know, uniqueness and creativity. I'm a big R&B guy and I love mm -hmm. lyrical content. I love different sounds. I like creativity. And so when I see somebody creating music, I'm overwhelmed by that. Like, man, where did he get that from? And you talk to people who produce music and it's amazing. They're like, I just can kind of hear it in my head and I'm mm -hmm. able to go to the button, to go to the board and push buttons to make that sound come out. That's creativity. We all have that in a certain way in our lives. Being a button pusher is a very, very unique skill and ability to be able to execute it. Because sometimes you can hear it up here and see that music up here. But when you get to the board, you're like, I have no idea what to do, mm -hmm. but to be able to execute that and bring that sound out. Sometimes when people talk about working with great producers, they say it's challenging because they keep telling you like the singer is going in, he's killing it. And the producer like, that ain't it. That ain't it. That ain't it. Cause I know how it's supposed to sound. That was, that was nice what you did, but I'm telling you do it how I'm telling you to do it. Cause I heard it up here before and I need you to duplicate that. That's a button pusher. But that's challenging because that analogy I just used is challenging because what happens, you could you could create a bad reputation in the industry. Like, I don't work with Alan because this guy, I, I went in the studio and I was singing my heart out. And he was like, that ain't it. Yeah. Yeah. That's not it. So a button pusher has those same challenges in life to say, you know what? Because somebody may look at your life like, Larry, my God, you had the greatest job. You were in a great position. You're going to leave? Are you kidding? You know, I got that often. No, you did. Okay. So I want you to talk a little bit about that because, again, 
that involves another one of the principles of mental care. We, you're, you're a great example to the, to the gym because you're hitting on all four principles. That involves big picture, that involves self-evaluation. And all, and and a third one, decision making as well, because you have to have that big picture. Because what your big picture is ain't got nothing to do with mine. Right. I may see it as to say, like, how in the hell did? Why would you do something like that? You were in a great position. Mm-hmm. That could be a relationship. Somebody be like, your man was the greatest guy. This guy was great, but something about him, I didn't like his. Whatever it is, mm-hmm. that was a great job. It takes a lot of self-evaluation and big picture thinking and decision-making to say, no, that's not for me. I have to do that over. Tell me about that mindset that you have as you've journeyed and transitioned to the different things in your life. And you said, you got that a lot where people are like, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) Tell me about that. Tell me about that. Purpose. Um, Purpose. You know, I've never been a person with having to do something for a certain amount of time, right? That's just my entire life. I knew that, um, and I'll be honest, you have a bigger picture for yourself, right? I have, you just have a bigger picture. And you know, at some point in time, everything is seasonal. Mm-hmm. Everything is seasonal. You have to know what season, when season, when it's time to go um, and be comfortable with it. You know, I was comfortable with knowing, okay, my time is up. It's time for me to go into the next journey. There are people who, who need my help in doing X, Y, Z, doing something else. And over the years, it's funny because I, I just had a friend um, call me. Um, she said, you know, I just have to tell you, you know, you're naturally a healer, right? You're naturally a healer. Mm-hmm. Um, you actually, you you, you've always been like that. You know, you can call somebody, hey, I, I, I don't think that you, you sound right. You know, what's going on? You know, right. and just listen to them naturally. You know, I've called myself uh, being empathetic, you know, empathetic, you know, just being able to feel sometimes feel people's pain, you know? Yes. So when we say that, you, you know, I'm a, I knew that my purpose was much bigger than what I was doing. Mm. Um, it was just way just how I was set up, you know, again, family, my mom said, listen, if you're not comfortable, um, if you're not comfortable and you feel that you are supposed to be doing much more, yes, then go for it, go for it. Don't be stuck. Don't get stuck in doing something for yes. an amount of time because you expecting at the end, you'll be able to live comfortable. Yes. That's not how life works because you're not guaranteed life. Ooh. Your objective is to make sure that each and every person that you come in contact with, contact with is able to say listen she was this she helped me through this you know you can always tell how a person lives through people's funerals if you go to funeral and it's like lord so many people and it's everybody you know everybody's happy you know they're joyous you can tell a lot from that person as to how how they were during their awake life so that's what i live by i live by you know clarine you have a purpose you have a big purpose and you got to keep moving on regardless if, you know, you can't think about what people are going to say because regardless, people are going to say what they want to say oh, because yes. they can't do what you do. They have that fear and that fear stops a lot of people from being what and who they need to be until it gets becomes too late. Now, now you, you six years old. Now you want to do this. Now you want to do not right. saying, not saying that you can't do it, but yes. when the time, 
time when you said, listen, I want to do this, do it. You got yes. nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose. Yes. So, what's the worst that can happen? That's my thing. What's the worst that can happen? Yes. What's the worst that can happen? Yes. You yes. fail at it? Question. Listen, you fail at it, but are you really failing? Because yes. you're learning while you, you know, like you're learning. Everything is a learning, a learning avenue. Yes. For everything. So like, you know, like just, it was time to move. I knew my purpose um, and I'm comfortable with it. I'm, I'm so comfortable. I can just, you know, everybody's like, oh my gosh, why? Yes. I'm, I am, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. Knowing your purpose, knowing who you are, knowing um, what you need to do and surrounding your people, surround yourself by people who know who you are and know that, listen, you have more to give and you can't give by being stationary. Sometimes you have to actually move. I love the question that you ask yourself because I, I do this a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it's a funny question because when you ask, it's one of those questions where you'd be like, yeah. And that question is, what's going to happen? What's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? And you know what? Worst thing that can happen, I guess, off the top of my head, is, is death. And if I make this move, I ain't going to die. I ain't going to die. <laughs> right? So when you ask yourself that question, sometimes you're kind of like you. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this, this is right on my paper. Is there fear? Because that's really the biggest thing that, that, that that's, you know that that uh, stops us from being a button pusher. Mm-hmm. That going back to that studio. Sometimes you don't know what that. Listen to me. I I believe that this. You see those those boards in the studio. There's thousands of buttons, and I'm saying mm-hmm. you can't know what all those buttons mean. No. But you know what? You take a chance and say, let me try this one. Yep. But you have, but you can't be afraid. But that that one you turn may mess up the whole vibe of the song. And you may, ah, I lost it now. But you can't be afraid to do that. But let me let me take that back. You will be afraid to do that. You will be afraid to do it. How do you, that's my question to you. How do you deal with that? How do you put that side, that fear aside? Because people always ask, I get that question a lot, like, how do you get rid of the fear? You can't. You I'm can't. not saying tell you you can't. That's impossible. But it's a matter of first identifying that and not lying to yourself. I'm shook. I'm, I'm scared. I'm not gonna lie. But how do you manage that? So how does Clarine manage the fear when it comes to those button pusher moments? How do you manage that? I do it in fear. Okay. I do it in fear. Um, it's like it's like you know public speaking. Public speaking is the the number one biggest fear now i'm gonna tell you a story um my mom is so crazy again my mom used to have me do like these little speeches at like old elementary schools old clarin get up and and i'm like oh my gosh, i don't want to talk i don't want to talk i'm so fearful i'm so fearful i don't want to talk and she made me do it when i was younger made me do it so i became accustomed to doing speeches yes. I, I became accustomed of actually standing in front of a hundred people, hundreds of people and, you know, giving speeches and talking about this, talking about that. I still have the fear, right? but right. it's less right. because I, you know, I, the initial fear is over. Yes. I still doing it. I yeah. still, that fear is, like you said, the fear is never going to go away. Mm-hmm. It's never going to go away, but you have to do it in fear. Yes. Versus not doing it at all because you are fearful. Yes. You're never going to know. You, you're just never going to know where you're going to end up. 
I, I totally agree with that. You know, to use your fear, like you said, you know, I can relate again, you know, that that fear sometimes before you go on that stage is there. But you learn to manage it to where once you get in there, like, oh, I'm in the groove. Mm -hmm. I ain't even scared no more because I'm ready to go. Because you know that I'm I'm here and I'm I'm in my purpose and I'm walking in my purpose. And it does. It actually it goes out the window. And you know when you're more when I'm more worried when I'm about to go on stage, I'm like I ain't scared at all. Now I'm really worried. Now I'm really worried because I'm not ready. But when you're ready, you have that anxiety to say I want I want it, I want I have it and I want it to come out. How is it's here. And mm -hmm. I want these people to be able to receive it. And that's the fear more than anything. And once you get out there and you're like, oh, I'm in the groove now. I'm in we, the groove. Going. That's like in this interview, within the first seven minutes, I said, I'm good. <laughs> I'm in the groove now. You know what I mean? We, we're rolling. You know, I always think too, I, I say to myself, how many people can do it? Yes. If I'm doing something, how many people would even yes. have? the push to do yes. what I'm doing. It's easy to say you would do it, yes, but it's hard to actually do it. Yes. So I said to myself, how many people would be able to do it? Yes. In my mind, that's, that's another, people wouldn't be able to do it. They wouldn't yes. be able to do it. So let me just, look, let me just do it. Cause they're gonna talk about it regardless. Regardless of the situation. Regardless, regardless, yes. they're gonna talk about it. Let me, and let me do it and be happy with it. Listen, the last, the last piece is going to be my favorite piece. Middle pieces was the most important. This is my favorite. And that's the family mm -hmm. advocacy. And many, every topic that we touched, those three main areas that we touched, family kept coming up. Family kept coming up. And I want to, I want to, I took some notes here in terms of, you know, your family and your siblings. We talked about that earlier, but I want you to really reflect on that how they say it uh, takes a village to raise. Right. And that village is our siblings. Mm -hmm. and, and even once we're grown, quote unquote grown, we're still being raised. Still. And we still need our siblings to fall back on when we go to tough decisions. And you, you gave a few examples today and I, you know, we're written down here, you know. It sets the tone even for our friendships. Right. Remember when I asked you earlier about the difference between men and women, and who do we go to? Mm -hmm. Do you believe in your partic particular case because you did have such a great family, you do have such a great family unit that that set the tone for your mindset about friends? Yes. Yeah. Did that really say, you know what? It's a high standard to be my true friend. We have a lot of acquaintances, but it sets the tone. There's a my I'm. I'm going to use this word, but I don't mean it necessarily that way. But when it comes to me being friends, I'm bougie with it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you got to really be of a certain level for me to pick up the phone and be like, yo, I'm going through it. I need to talk to you. Right? Right. Tell me about that process and how your family laid the foundation for you. So now when you're going out there and, and dealing with people and, and trying to add to that in terms of friends, What's the, what's the importance of having that foundation of being able to see that like, I trust my family no matter what. I trust that when I really am down and I need to talk about this, I'm scared. Mm -hmm. I know I can go to my sisters, but maybe they're not available. And you have to start to look elsewhere. Talk about that process between the two, friends versus family. So my friends, um, it's, it's, I love it. Our friends are family. Right. Yes. So my sister can call my friends and 
I can call, I, I can call my sister's friends. I can call my brother's friends. We have, we have a family. Um, and when you come from, it's when you come from a strong family background, um, where you attract certain people, right? You also do, you attract certain people. Yes. Uh, my friends come from strong family backgrounds also. So I can like my best friend, I can call her mom. Hey, you know, I have this, mm-hmm. this you know, and she's, she can tell me straight up Clarine as she's like my, she's my second mom. Listen, this is what you need to do. Um, blah, 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 blah. Their background also has helped them to come over to us and vice versa. That whole family dynamic, being able to trust, being able to talk uh, things out, being able to know, even if I'm arguing with someone, one thing we don't, we don't go, if I have an argument with a sibling, we're not going to sit here and one, not speak to them. Right. Because right. anything can happen. Right. Anything can happen. And you don't want that on your right. conscious, like, you know what, I should have, you know, my sister gets right. sick or something happens, you know. It's it's not worth it. An argument is not worth worth it to the point where you can't speak to family. Right. That's it's just that's, that's just not it. So when I choose when I choose or when my my friends came, you know, even with like little arguments or you know like disagreements, we were always still able to hash it out and come to a conclusion that no matter what, you know, even though we're not we're not disrespectful to each other, you know, we have to understand each other because we're different. We're different, but we're the same. We have the same mindset. Mm-hmm. We have the main, same mindset. You know, listen, I started the podcast off because I, I, I know you well enough to know that you've always been a family um, foundational person. So when I was writing the question, I knew it was important to get that piece in because I knew it would set the tone for every question that we go through. And, I, and for the listeners out there, I want people to really understand the value of family yeah and what we create mentally this is hard and i would encourage people to listen to this podcast a few times because sometimes we cover so many different things that invoke a lot of emotions when we talk about relationships and and men and women it invokes a lot of uh, emotions but i want people to really listen to what clarine is saying from the start to finish and to hear how her decision making is affected greatly by her foundation of her family. She kept talking about that as we would go through this. And it helps her with her decision-making. It helps her with taking advice from others. That's one of the things that we struggle with. That's the mental thing. When somebody's telling you something, we can't accept it. But because she has that foundation of, I trust my sisters, I trust my family, I trust my brothers, I trust my mom, my dad. That's a mental thing. And this is the part that I want people to really understand. We have to figure out how do we allow our mindset to intake things and sometimes reject those things. We have to learn the difference. But it's all in our mind. It's all in our mental health. And Clarine is an expert, in my opinion, of being able to identify those things. And I love how she identified those things through the different variations of life, through relationships, through parenting. We went through a lot here today. We're talking yeah. about parenting. How do we mentally, you know, be honest about ourselves? The parents, we, none of us have all the answers to parenting. Parenting is hard. Many times, I don't know the answer to this thing. We got to make a phone call. But when you make that phone call, you have to be confident that I'm making this phone call to somebody that I can take in what they're telling me. But 
even with that being said, I have to make sure that I'm equating that into who I am. Right. They handle it a certain way. I don't have the ability to do that. That's mm -hmm. not making you better or worse than them. I just don't have the ability to do that. I heard what you said. I'm going to incorporate that, but I got to be in tune with who I am. Right. Mentally. Right. These are all tremendous, tremendous lessons. And like I said, I know that Clarine and she did an unbelievable job of being able to give this, give us this awareness about what does it mean? What are the signs and what are the signals? Anxiety. That's big. That was a huge word when she brought that. I'm like, oh man, that's that's a powerful thing because we don't want to admit that. And I'm gonna let you close it out by speaking again about that. And I want you to speak about the neglect. Because I'm sure that's what you've seen a lot of out there. You spoke about that from a male perspective, but I'm sure even the females. What happens to us when we are neglecting our mental health awareness? What are you seeing from people that are trying to ignore this thing, especially, quite frankly, in our communities, the Black community, communities has been a, a taboo to admit, you know what, I'm going to need to talk to somebody or this is something that I need to address for whatever the reason. That's another show we can get into that. Mm -hmm. But tell us you know, in closing about some of the unfortunate ramifications and results of us denying our mental health and being aware of it. Anger issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, anger issues in certain communities with black on black men. Um, mm -hmm. we, be honest with that. Um, we also deal with decision-making, right? So that's not addressed the decision-making process it's not, it's not clear. Mm -hmm. So now you have black men, I'm going to say in general, making yes. horrible decisions mm -hmm. based on issues that could have been talked out some way through trauma, drama, everything underneath the sun, but they feel as if they can't, they can't. And they use, they, you know, they use, you know, something they use violence. Yes. Use violence as a way, as a coping me mechanism. Because a lot of times when I had a, um, I spoke to a gentleman, about la I think last last week I spoke to him and, you know, he just basically, I was a ran random person, random mm -hmm. person. First time I met him, um, but he felt so, he told me, I felt so open to discuss my life with you. Mm -hmm. Now Black, he started working at the age of 13. Mm -hmm. um, he had a baby when he was young, when he was 14. Oh, that's young. He had a baby when he was 14. He uh, finished high school. Um, didn't never saw his he said he never saw his mom working. So already, already we have we, we, we're we're neglecting. He went from being a boy to now he has to be a man because he has a child to he's a baby raising a baby. Yes. So now he doesn't even know how to navigate that. Yes. He doesn't know. So, you know, he told me, he's like, no, I became so depressed. And, and I was in my, in, in my mother's basement contemplating, should I take my own life? <laughs> and I just looked and like tears, like tears just started rolling down. I'm like, you know, I'm a stranger. In my mind, I'm like, you know, you're, I'm a stranger. I don't even know who you are. And you, ex you know, you're expressing this to me. And I, you know, I urge him. I said, listen, it's never too late. Never too late. Your life starts when you say, okay, I I've had enough and I want to change it. Right. That's when your life starts. Right. So, you know, we have these, we have to get more, um, especially in schools, yes. you know, 
in schools, you know, come up with a program where, you know, it's okay to sit there and talk about certain things, especially in certain communities, um, so that they, it'll be easy for them to transition. You know, get your child to see a therapy, a therapist when they're young. It, yes. Nothing has to be wrong. Yes. Nothing has to be wrong. But just being able to communicate, keep that open line of communication, knowing how to communicate and to answer questions and to sometimes think about how your actions or think about what you're saying, how it can affect someone. And that's another thing. Sometimes you can't say, most of the time, you can't say what you want on your mind. You can't because you don't know where that person is, yes. where that person is on this scale. Yes. What you say to them can push them over. They can be having suicidal thoughts. They could be having thoughts to killing themselves. Yes. What you say may be the last words that they hear. Yes. And you don't want, you don't, you never want to get that phone call. Oh, I yes. just spoke to them. Why didn't, you know, I just spoke to them. You know, you never want to get that phone call. So you ha always have to treat everyone with, of course, with respect, but be delicate in what you say to them because you just don't know where they are and what they're dealing with. And everybody deals with things different, totally different. Totally different. Um, and that's that's that. You know, I just I do wish that, you know, I'm I am so thankful, Alan, that you are putting this out. And you know, this has Thank been you. years in the making. This has been to the Allens, big up to the Allens. Yeah, Thank you. Years in the making, and you're giving everybody an opportunity to actually feel open and free um with speaking what's on their mind with no judgment. And that's another thing coming in to yes. not be. Judged. because a lot of times people don't want to say what how they feel because they're afraid to be judged yes yes they're afraid to be judged. we all fail we yes. fail we fail yes. with humans that's that's yes. the purpose of us being humans you know i can't judge you i got my I own yesterday yeah <laughs> like i have my listen i can't judge you. i got my own stuff going on who am i to sit here and judge you based on what you're going through you know like and you got to just sit down and and be open and and be able to talk with people because it may just be a an interpretation yes um problem you know perception problem everybody doesn't perceive certain things you know yes. I, especially when you are in a hard place of when you're in a hard place i'm gonna say this is i i say this a lot too when you're in a hard place and you are in a place of not wanting to receive everything that someone says to you is going to feel like a disagreement Everything that somebody says to you is going to feel like an argument. That's because you are not at the place to receive yet. Yes. But the moment that you are in a, a place to receive, it's no longer an argument. It's an open discussion. And now mm -hmm. you can actually open, you know, open the gateway to, to have a conversation and to, it's a dialogue, not just one person talking. You can actually say how you feel and we can get over certain things. This is why I did this. This is why I didn't do that. This is how I feel. And we have to validate people's emotions. That's another thing. I can't tell you, oh, no, you shouldn't feel that way. Correct. I can't people tell you. Right. Like, I, I can't tell you, oh, no, you shouldn't feel that way. No, right. you can't tell people that they shouldn't feel a certain way because you don't know how that affected them. Or you don't know what happened in their past that makes them feel or making them jump to what and how they're feeling. So that's another thing. Like you can't just, there's so many different, so many different. Um, Isn't that so unfair though of us, you know, as a society where we do that so much, you know, where we so just, you know, tell people how they're supposed to feel. And again, that's the emotion part. You know, the biggest part of um, the biggest opponent of mental conditioning is emotions. I always tell people the most powerful force on the face of this earth is not a 747, 
No. Uh, it's not a Mack truck. It's our emotions. You know, those are the things that allowed those men to fly those planes into the Twin Towers. It wasn't, it wasn't the planes. Right. It was the emotion of those men that was, isn't that crazy? It's oh. not the, the plane. It's the men were so emotional, like, I'm going to fly these planes into the Right. Crazy to me. The mind. That shows you the power of our minds, mm -hmm. that we really can do anything that we set our minds to, but we have to be, and you just said it, we have to be ready to receive it. And, and, and part of that process of being able to receive it is not believing that we know everything, but to just have confidence in our mindset and confidence in our mental condition, conditioning. And that puts us in a constant no judgment zone. Right. I'm not worried about how you judge me because I'm confident in my ability mm -hmm. mentally. So I'm not worried about that. And that's one of the challenges that we have here in the gym is to get people to, that's why I have the actual gym. Because when they walk through that door and step into this ring, which is the mental conditioning gym, I want to break that down. I want you to immediately feel nobody's here to judge you. Because guess what? Yeah, I may be up here and I may be the creator of the mental conditioning movement. But guess what? I'm looking at you to give me some guidance. Right. You know right. what I mean? I'm not here to tell. I don't know. I need help, too. So we're here to contribute to each other and to build off of each other, to sharpen each other's decision-making skills, to sharpen each other's confidence, to sharpen each other's ability to say, you know what, I fell off the course. How did you get back on the course? Mm. That's mm. a really important factor for us because it takes a lot of uh, pushing away our ego to first admit that I fell off the course. Now I got to say, well, I don't ego know how to get back on. That ego is a killer. Ego is another killer. You know what mm. I mean? But how do we get past all of those things to get back on the course. And mm -hmm. let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, Clarine Henderson did everything I needed her to do today. And she will be back again to be able to, you know, do what we have to do and further, further, further the narrative of this. We thank you so much. I thank you, Alan. Alan, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. We're going to definitely see you again on one of our panels. Yeah. Uh, I actually had a special request from a mutual friend that he wanted to do a panel with you. And, and so I'm going to make that happen uh, very, very soon. So thank you so much uh, for joining us. Everybody, thank you for tuning in to the Mental Conditioning Gym. We will see you right here again next week for another episode, yes. Mental Conditioning Gym. And I forgot to open it up with one thing. So I'm going to close it with oh. this thing. Here we go. Bing! <laughs> Everybody have a great week. I'll see you right here again, Mental Conditioning.